Hi, this is Dina, Senior Producer at the Telly Awards. Are you a talented creative ready to show the world a new point of view with your work? We want to see it. We're currently open for entries and the early deadline for submission is December 10th. The Telly Awards honors the best of video and television across all screens, but that's not all we do. Subscribe to receive the Telly Awards newsletter to stay up to date on our season, uncover inspiration and trends for your work, or be connected to the best talent this industry has to offer. You'll get access to past Telly Award winners from around the globe, trends and insights not available outside our database, including features with executive talent on our original series, Hot Takes, and first notice of our exclusive Telly Award events and programming. Make sure you sign up for free at the bottom of the page at tellyawards.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Telly Awards podcast, the podcast that brings together two leaders from the video and television community with similar expertise in different disciplines to share their craft, debate their differences, and find the common ground in the forms of storytelling. I'm your host, Executive Director of the Telly Awards, Sabrina Dridge. What an energizing episode we have for you this month. For this conversation, we welcome two incredibly inspiring, genre-bending, multi-hyphenate, multi-talented directors, Rachel Mason and Sophia Gazababa. Rachel is an artist, musician and filmmaker based in LA, whose work has shown at various places including the Whitney Museum and NACMA, and she is most recently known for her outstanding feature doc, Circus of Books, now streaming on Netflix. She shared her particular approach to directing a feature doc, in contrast to Sophia's expansive experience directing short-form work, from music videos to commercials, for the likes of Nickelodeon, Universal and Sony Music. And she also shared her unique experience of being a Mexican-born director, living and working both in Mexico and the US. We dug deep into how their creative approaches, opportunities and process differed in function of this type of work, how they define the elusiveness of success in our industry, and we discover a common connection with the prolific American television writer, director and producer, Ryan Murphy. Sophia, Rachel, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you on the Telly Awards podcast. And actually, more excitingly, I'm very excited to introduce you to each other. So, Sophia, you've met Rachel. Rachel, meet Sophia. This is so wonderful. I've actually already seen your film twice. Oh my God, really? That's so cool. Well, I just learned about your amazing talent um, through this project here, which is awesome because I'm always excited to meet new, interesting, exciting directors. And so you're you're really doing amazing stuff too. Thank yeah, you. Likewise. This makes us so happy. <laughs> I love it when people meet. <laughs> so fun fact, as I was researching you both, one name came up in common with you both. I wonder if you know who that person is. Ryan Murphy? Yes, indeed. Oh. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I thought that was pretty fun. I was reading that he obviously EP'd your feature doc, Rachel, which we're going to talk all about in a second. And Sophia, so you were part of his half program I was reading about. Yeah, I was part of the half initiative program in 2018, I think. That is so cool. I did see that on your resume that you were in the half program. And it was so funny because I was like, I actually need all the training I can get. Like, I don't have any training. I feel like I've accidentally stumbled my way into success every single turn and like made every possible mistake without learning the things not to do. So somebody explaining things. Very small world. It was really fun to kind of discover that. So to kick it all off, I would love to hear how you both got started. 
in the worlds that you're working in and how your trajectories guided you, Rachel, to kind of your future doc and Sophia towards commercials. It might be that the path wasn't intentional, as it often isn't. <laughs> it's random and serendipitous and spontaneous. But yeah, Rachel, let's start with you. Tell us about how you got into making things that move. Well, it's so funny. I mean, I guess in some ways, um, I have a lot of accidental successes. And so I was actually on a track, really, that was very avant-garde. It was focused in that world. And I, I almost had no place even in my mind for the mainstream. And I was setting out to make a documentary that I assumed a handful of gay men would really love in LA. And that that was, you know, I needed to make this film because it was just an important story for the demographic of people that were my best friends in my entire friend group. And I knew also that actually men of Ryan's age and generation gay men who are over 50, those are, you know, those are the guys in some ways that helped raise me through the arts as I grew up and I love the store. What's happened since is the film came out on Netflix. It's a commercial success and I have never made commercials like Sophia. So I'm excited dying to hear your side of things because I have way more to learn from you probably than you from me and my weird random backdoor story. I didn't know the art of documentary filmmaking. I worked with a great editor. I worked with a great producer. And anytime I really was serious about something that mattered to me, it came from my background as an artist. It sounds like everything with the kind of this world, it's just a random journey. The people that you meet push into a new trajectory and it's unexpected, unintended and surprising. Sophia, tell us about how you got your start and the work that you've been up to. First of all, I love hearing Rachel's story. I think it's amazing. I love hearing other filmmakers, you know, making it. So how did I start? Um, well, I'm from Mexico. I'm originally born and raised in Mexico. I had no clue that filmmaking existed until one of my teachers, I had a Canadian teacher in Mexico that taught computer class. So he taught me how to edit and I became obsessed telling stories. You know, I, I used to film every single class project instead of going in front of a camera to speak about a project. I used to film it and like brought a tape and showed it that way. My dad, he's a journalist and, and, you know, he used to be obsessed with, with music and music videos. And we had access to us TV. Don't ask me how, don't ask me why, but we had <laughs> access to it. But amazing. <laughs> the the thing is that, you know, I, I was mesmerized by all the music videos that were on the screen. I was like, I can't believe that people do something like this. I want to do that. You know, I want to be that person, you know, making magic. Because for me, that was magic. I was fortunate enough to, to come here with a student visa. And my objective first was to do music videos. Because that's what I wanted you know I, I started doing music videos uh, my first music video was for a band called kinky it's it's a big band in latin america i basically knocked on their door and i was like hey i have to do a thesis project i want to do a music video let me shoot it for you you know so that's how i started and but then i realized that i needed to do something else because 
the money wasn't great. So that's when I started, you know, this, I, I decided to start doing commercials and, you know, the commercial world at first, I was a little bit scared because at first I was struggling, you know, at the end of the day, I consider myself as a creative artist, you know, cause coming from, from another country and now I'm a American as well. So I'm a Mexican American. But even that, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in limbo because in Mexico, people hire me, but they're sometimes they're like, she's now in the States. She has better work. Oh, interesting. And then here it's like, well, I mean, she's, you know, I'm a Latina, I'm female. Everything is against me sometimes. So I just, I feel that I need to fight harder, you know, harder here for you know commercial work but you are currently still then working both in the states and mexico you're finding work either okay yes that is correct well i mean just fascinating background stories i love love to hear that i guess like jumping a bit more into just your approach in general and i don't want to be reductive but we were thinking about just like how a creative process looks different depending on the length Mm. of work that you're directing and maybe rachel in your case this is an odd question because I'm sure the story just evolved into an hour and a (laughs) half time because you had all this thing to cover but and then with Sophia obviously with commercials you know it's going to be a short film or with a music video but how do you kind of adapt what are the constraints and opportunities of working in specific Mm. time limits even if if you I don't know if you think that way but maybe Sophia we can start with you because your work is a bit more limited in terms of time you know that you have to kind of hit a story beat and and be creative within the span of you know 30 seconds to four minutes or whatever it might be you know if it's a music video I obviously like listen to the song first I really want to make sure that whatever my treatment is like is as close as as it is to the idea that they had in mind writing the song and for commercials sometimes you know agencies and clients take such a long time putting together an idea, how do you manage to, you know, keep your your essence as a director, like on screen, but also help the client, you know, get their vision across? If, if it's a commercial, first, it's the visuals, because I feel that visuals help me as a person, like, piece it together. And then I go from there. When you have in Rachel's case, like an hour and a half, whatever, you had as much time as you possibly could have had to tell your story. And then you're confronted with another opportunity, which is kind of telling a story within a certain time limit. Like, I'm just so curious as to how that then affects how you develop the story and how you're going to tell it. But for you, Rachel, with the documentary, when you don't have a constraint of time, how did you start thinking about how you wanted to kind of order your story and how you wanted to slowly unravel the elements of it? Well, you know, I I will argue that actually you do have a time constraint. It's just a a longer one. You know, if your doc is going to take two hours and 30 minutes, no one's going to watch it. It's not going to get into any festivals. And, you know, when you're on that track of like really big narrative storytelling arcs, you know, there were things in my film that were like so amazing, like scenes that I had fully crafted and worked really, really, really hard on and gotten a crew and gotten all these things set up and it were amazing scenes. And, you know, it might be like a five to seven minute scene and it was totally all created. And then we would have to remove it because it was like, you know what, this makes it look like there's three endings. We would show it to a test audience and it would, 
be really boring and, and we would get notes back. And, you know, that was one of the things. So I, um, I think part of the reason the film was successful is because, you know, I did do test audience screening. So I would show it and it was really obvious when you do that in a, you know, in a film situation, you, you get everybody saying, I'm confused by the intro. And when you have 30 people saying that, then you have to fucking change the intro, you know? And it's like, no matter how much I loved it, I shouldn't have, you know, necessarily assumed I would get all of these scenes packed into the movie. And, and, and just cause I love the scene, it, it may not make it cause you can't subject people to like three endings, you know? And so, and, and yet circus of books actually had, there were two stores. So there's a store in West Hollywood and a store in Silver Lake. And this is what's also kind of funny is that LA is very, like, very specific. There's East LA and then there's West LA. And the people in the, I mean, it's not that basic, but in terms of the two stores, it was like the Silver Lake community who loved that store. And so we showed it in Silver Lake and they were like, why didn't you focus more on the culture around the store right here? You know, no one cares about the West LA store, but you're focusing on that. And then I would have to put my larger producer brain. I'm like, okay. You know, again, talking, it was actually really good that my producers were in London. We're like, we don't know anything about the micro dynamics of LA's gay cultures, like within gay culture, gay male culture in LA. There's like the, the people over here on the Silver Lake scene. And then there's the people in the West Hollywood Boys Town scene. And, you know, the two didn't always interact, but I had to craft in my film, a version that exists for a global audience. So somebody watching in Korea might be like, okay, cool. That's the movie. And if I were to focus on, you know, well, you know, from 1982 to 1986, the store was developing in Silver Lake in this way. And it had already been, you know, after the store in West Hollywood, like I had a whole different approach to crafting this narrative that this is again, for me as a, a director, why producers matter so much. And I will say this, I don't know on the commercial side, but I'm, I'm one of those people that freely gives up control when I'm like, okay, I don't know shit. I need you to help me. I, you know, I was really excited about like the, the many different sides of gay history in LA specific to the Silver Lake and the West Hollywood communities and like different parts of the story of gay porn. And it was, a movie that probably hardly anyone would ever want to watch, you know, and I showed it to my producers in England and they're like, no, no, no. The story that's the heart of it is your mom, you, your brother, build that up. I was wondering whether that had come as you were in the Exactly. And that was part of where I was like, oh, okay. Well, so the thing I wanted to do isn't really as interesting. And they'd be like, nope, it's not. And so I have to say, okay, cool, fine. I'll, I'll bite the bullet and you know, that's not as interesting. And I have to understand that, or it's just not going to work. And I, on some level, yeah. just to say this, like my mom is like such a gangster businesswoman, And I, I really do <laughs> love that about her. Like she is it comes across. Oh yeah. Like she, you know, she is so tough. And, and she always says this to me because I think it's part of why I have been able to switch gears and go from being an artist, also a musician to filmmaking. Like I've been in a bunch of spheres. And one of the things she always tells me is it's all about the business it's not personal and it's not about you. It's about the business. Mm -hmm. What does the business need? And, mm -hmm. and she's always saying that. And for her, the business is the store. Like, I don't care that I like, you know, these kinds of books. If the business isn't wanting that and your customers don't want that and you have to do what's right for the business. So for me, making a film, the film is the business. And so I always would say, and I do say this, my guiding principle is the film 
tells you what it needs. And it's all about the film and the film you literally have to look at as a person who's saying, I want this, I want that. And you basically have to work for the film. My role as a director is just to do the one thing I can do best to make the film come into itself. I think that understanding the the lines between or the relationship between creativity and business is it can be hard to grapple with if you're a creative soul, but it's absolutely necessary. But to your to your point about the producing producer director relationship, for you, Sophia, what does that look like for your commercial work and music videos? I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that you know, I like wearing hats physically. That's a cool <laughs> hat. I love it. Thank you. But wearing like many hats on set, it's not ideal. I mean, I think we all know that we can all do it because we're strong people, but is it the best? No, you know? So I think that, you know, I agree with Rachel. I think that, you know, I, I, I let the others do what they do best. You know, Mm -hmm. I know that if I only concentrate in directing, I'll please the client better. And I know that things will come out better because I've seen it before when, when I start putting too Mm -hmm. many hats, on set you know like oh I'm producing and directing and this and that it's like no darlings because I can see it you know I, I I see two commercials back to back one where I only directed and wrote and another one where I produced and directed and whatever and I can see mm-hmm. the difference you know because you know you need to let other people do what they know best then you do your thing and that's wow. it. <laughs> definitely yeah no yeah. and I will say for me like making my documentary I was forced to produce and I you know it took a very long time and I mean I don't in the doc world you know I know someone working on a film for 25 years so okay right. I, relative to the world of docs it's five you know it was like four or five years but again when you are in a documentary you actually do have this very long amorphous process which in some ways could be mm-hmm. a, a part of the problem some people never finish their docs I know people again like the guy who's working on his film for 25 years you know and you can just be in this position where you're slowly 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 getting it how long actually was the process for you from beginning to and I guess end being maybe the premiere at Tribeca. I mean, I think it was like four years all total, which isn't so bad hmm. for docs, especially given that like one full year was spent fundraising. So it was more like three years, you know, a year and a half on either side, like filming. And then about that much time in edit. I was going to say, I bet you, for you, Sophia, sometimes you get a call on a Monday saying, can we shoot this thing next week? Oh, yeah. Commercials. They think that you don't have a life or a family or <laughs> anything. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sometimes it gets overwhelming, to be honest, like especially with when it comes to treatments, you know, they sometimes you get an inquiry and they're like, hey, we need a treatment in three days. So there you are doing a treatment at the same time that you're doing another treatment. And then, you know, if if the if you get the job, it moves mm. pretty quick, you know, mm-hmm. it moves pretty quick. And yeah, it's like nonstop. <laughs> Do you enjoy that pace? I used to. I mean, I like it. I, I love doing treatments, but I've started to like not like it so much because, you know, w- one thing is if you do a treatment for one project per week, that's fine. But sometimes like lately in the past, what, four or six months, I've been getting like, 
I mean, which is good. I can't complain, but I am complaining because I, I'm doing treatments like every day. I have multiple treatments and sometimes I don't even win it, you know, and it's just exhausting. I feel like that process is very tiring, especially when they don't pay for mm. your time to do the treatment. I mean, right. I feel like I want to change things around. I like I promised myself, at least in Mexico, that if I'm against two other directors and I win the bid, I'm going to give them mm. some money because I feel cool. I feel that, you know, I feel that pain of like, oh my God, I didn't get it. And I spent five days working on this treatment that looks beautiful. Yeah. And you only get the like, sorry, you know, we loved your work. We love your treatment, but you know, we're going to go with somebody else and it's fine. Mm -hmm. But you know, I feel bad for like, I, I felt bad when I don't win it. And it's like, I spent five days of my life and, and it's not like a treatment that's just written it's like beautifully made and it, you know it's a craft so that's kind of not so enjoyable <laughs> do you do your own graphic design work too I do because I mean I'm a freelancer here in the U.S. so that makes things difficult because I have to do my own treatments you know yeah. how, how about you well that's interesting you know I mean like it, it's interesting. I would say my treatment process lately. So, so I got since Circus of Books, I I really got like the slam dunk of agencies. Um, I'm repped by UTA, and it's awesome on the one hand, but it's also like no, it's totally awesome. There's no on the other hand. I have great agents. I love them, but I've learned in the last year what it means to pitch docs and doc series. And now I can see why I used to just be like, great. Somebody wants me attach my name. I'll go in for the meeting. And I'm, I'm loving it. Cause I just love documentaries. And I realized like, cool. I, I, I actually am good at this. It's great. I love it. It's, an, it's totally perfect for all the things that work for my brain. I didn't realize I'm good at docs, but then my agents would be like, well, Rachel, we don't really want you attached to this one. Cause they don't have the financing this is going to be a slog. And I'd be like, what, but I want to do it. And they were like, no, no, no. And then I actually attached myself to a couple of projects where they didn't have financing. Things were not set up and I would have meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings. And I would write and get involved in the story and work on it and all this stuff. And, and it, I'm talking months of work. So your week of work, I'm like, oh, cool. You just had to do a week. Well, you know, but in my head, I'm also like, but that's a different kind of creative work and you're doing visual stuff. I would be part of meetings that were you know, just like talking about a story, reading several books about something like I would get it into this sort of world, like listening to a whole podcast series that needs to get interpreted into a doc series. And then we go out with that to every single network. And if they don't buy it, wow, that sucked. That was like six months of work. But in mm -hmm. the meantime, my agents have also found me development funds for other projects. So I have a few where, you know, I did all that work and I did get paid. So, but they're like more on this. That's why I've realized like, oh, now I get why you really don't want me, you know, diving into the rabbit hole with this production team when they really don't have it together. You know, so there's a really different business program with it, which I actually started to learn to enjoy. Definitely. Well, we're actually talking of personal projects, because I've been mindful that we've been talking a lot about Sophia's commercial work. But you also recently made your short film, I'm a Vampire, that I also wanted to bring up because like, it feels very different, I'm sure, to 
we've been talking about the constraints and opportunities of working in the commercial world and music videos and working for someone else but this was your project and this was a personal project how was that experience for you compared to the other stuff you've been doing it's awesome (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine I just just love I mean I think that you know hearing Rachel talking about her personal projects I mean I, I I get excited about it because I think that that's where we all want to be doing right like personal projects makes everything smoother like I I don't know even yeah I shot this in Mexico during the pandemic I wrote a script during the pandemic and I was like I need to shoot this like now otherwise it's not gonna happen so I flew to Mexico I grabbed my crew together this crew like I, I go back and forth to Mexico a lot and my crew in Mexico, I told them, hey, I have a personal project. I will pay you, but please give me your top rate. <laughs> Obviously, they they also want, want it in, you know, because it's creative. I'm giving them freedom as, as well to, like, explore new techniques. And also, you know, personal projects and when people, like, pull favors for you, you know, even if, if you're paying them, but paying them, like, lower than usual they they treat the project like it's theirs as well you know and it's like a teamwork so you know the energy on set is more laid back even during the pandemic where everybody had to be tested and things like that there was a different sense of like community like Mm -hmm. when we were shooting and it was really fun you know and and the short film has done really well lately so I'm pretty excited and this is just motivating me to like keep going and keep doing things outside, you know, commercials and music videos. I mean, I love doing commercials and music videos, and I think I will always do that because I enjoy that. But I, you know, at the end of the day, I still want to make features and which you are about to. I was reading that you are barking on your first feature film. Yeah, I'm. I'm working on a feature film that is supposed to happen sometime next year but I think that (laughs) things are gonna get slower you know because of the pandemic but you know we're you know we have a producer attached and yeah I mean it's exciting I mean I would love to talk to you Rachel more about like features and things like that because I have no idea I've never done a feature (laughs) and and even if it's a document yours is a documentary I think that there's always like uh similar ground you know in in certain areas that I'm sure that well yeah and also I was thinking for me you know as much as I am talking I sound very romantic like oh you just do all this stuff but in the meantime I'm always scrambling for money I'm like oh my god actually right now today I was writing out every single bill that I owe I'm like thinking to myself if I don't get this money here so I'm always in my head like damn if I could direct a commercial that would be cool but I have no commercial experience so I, I really genuinely don't know about those types of you know I don't even know how to get in the game of directing a commercial so I always think in my head it's like that's the goal money like project but but I will say I'm totally happy to talk about directing you know indie low budget or just middle budget I mean no I I don't know anything about anything beyond low budget (laughs) um narrative directing (laughs) to be honest I mean, even in the commercial world, this this has happened to me. I'm not going to say names or point any fingers or anything, but like it has happened before where, you know, I'm in the triple bidding, you know, with 
other two directors bidding on mm -hmm. a project and you know the the client is looking for a latina bilingual that knows how to work with food stop motion i do all of that mm -hmm. and they end up giving it to like you know i i spent the five days working on the treatment and i'm really confident because i know that the other two directors you know they're very good but like i have things you know that they don't like i i'm bilingual and they're not and i'm like okay so this is looking good or are they just checking mm. a box Mm -hmm. So then when I realized that they end up giving it to a person that doesn't know, you know, the culture, doesn't know Spanish, doesn't know stop motion or food, I'm like, okay, so this is when I get upset, you know, because it's like, if you're just making, you know, calling, wanting to work with, with new underrepresented directors, but then actually not falling through, you know, that's not cool. I'd rather just be invited to a pitch without those, like, classifications. Yep. Yeah. It's funny because I actually was going to ask you both, because obviously you've worked across different genres and mediums, whether you saw there was more opportunity in long-form, short-form commercials for diverse talent, but you're answering my question, which is there's definitely people who are ticking the boxes. And it's not everybody. Some some agencies and some clients are really nice and really transparent. And I really appreciate that. You know, I hope, you know, some, someday I can like do bigger work. That's my objective. <laughs> Definitely. So it kind of segues from that. So that, and we kind of touched on it at the beginning, but in terms of success, which is such a loaded word, and I feel like oftentimes is so synonymous with financial success, which maybe is part of it, but for both of you, when you're starting new projects, when you're finishing them, when you're trying to kind of map out what your goals are, how are you defining success for you, yourselves, for your careers? I will say this on some level, like maybe it's because I'm just such a, um, like an artist. And I think I say that in a way that like, I don't think it's a good thing, but for me, it's always if the project turns out like great but then I'm actually I, I will say this I'm also never satisfied with anything so like after I finish it even circus of books there's things that I just uh, I want to like I, I I know the scenes that I wanted that I couldn't get you know I just like have these things in my head so I always have to just move on to the next thing I don't know if it's also like okay what is success because I don't really know but I do think all the film stuff is it's so unpredictable. You don't know if your next job is going to come through like tomorrow or like a year from now. And then you're like, and then in the meantime, there has to be some mm -hmm. creative happiness that like, okay, I at least made this thing. So I just have to keep going with these little creative things that keep me like happy while the other stuff, as much as like any one thing feels successful you know, like my last, it got an Emmy nomination. But then when you get the nomination and you don't win, you're like, I'm a failure. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, I made a bunch of money. Oh shit. I have to pay it for all this stuff. So it never, it's a me, terrible like, cycle. It comes with like money and power and those things that just gets more stressful. So I feel like for myself, mm. the success is like the little, the little things creatively 
that I'm really happy about. I love that. I agree a hundred percent. I feel like you and I, <laughs> Rachel, need to hang out no, because I feel like we can be friends. Yeah. No one. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I love I love your style, your work, cool. everything. Let's do it. Um sometimes sometimes it's hard to like you know, measure success. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't even know where to start. You know, like, I feel like for me, just being here, that's success. You know, like I, I feel like I've, I've gotten the success that I need, but I always want more just like what, you know, I feel like a failure if I don't, you know, win a job and I feel, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it's difficult. You know, I, and I think the success on a personal level for me, it's also like those jobs that, that make me happy, which is like, for example, right now, my short film, that is for me, my, my success. Although I'm spending a ton of money going to festivals, <laughs> like at the end of the day, one of the things that my dad taught me is like, you make money and you spend it in things that make you happy. You know, I think that sometimes we we like try to reach a goal that's like super far, but you know, baby steps. You know, like <laughs> absolutely. I did want to end with one question, which we ask uh, on each episode, which is, what is the most surprising thing that you heard from each other throughout this conversation that kind of surprised you or fascinated you or inspired you? this conversation I mean that you say that I'll regret meeting your parents I want to meet them <laughs> happy to happy to make the intro I'm sure it'll happen I'm you know that they basically are always around <laughs> but you know um I think with you my my takeaway that's so interesting is just you know I well it's not it's not so surprising but I think it's sad because you're just so talented and also being a Latin, a Latina, I don't know if you prefer Latinx, but like, you know, I just think at this moment, everybody at least is saying how much they want to work with women with, you know, especially in this moment, Latina women and here in LA, like being bilingual, I'm thinking, oh my God, you must have every possible job coming at you. Like people would die to work with you. So I'm surprised to hear that it isn't more like that. And, but I guess I'm also not surprised because this is a really hard you know, nut to crack in American culture, obviously, but yeah, but yeah, we'll have to hang out and figure that out. So yes, I would love to hang out with you. Definitely. And I want to see your short film. Is it out yet? Or it's just on the festival track? Right? Uh, it's on the festival, okay, but cool. I'll send you a private link if you want. Amazing. Well, with that, thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you so much, Sophia. We're all very excited to see what comes next and keep us posted and we will share all of your wonderful fruits and labors out in the world. But in the meantime, thank you again for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation. We're so thrilled to have had you yeah, on today. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. This was great. Today's episode was produced by Dina Graham. Our editor is Alex Healy. Music is by Luciane Music Company. You can find us on all the social platforms at Telly Awards. And I'm your host, Sabrina Dridge. And this is the Telly Awards podcast. <laughs>